Hey there, folks. Welcome back to Classic Camera Revival and part two of our episodes on Little Fs. Today we are going to be talking about four more cameras um, that are oftentimes forgotten, um, a little bit niche, but always very important to the Nikon lineup of cameras. So we're going to roll the intro and get right to it. Welcome to the Classic Camera Revival, coming to you from the Greater Toronto Hamilton region of Ontario, Canada. If you don't have gear acquisition syndrome now, you most likely will by the end of the episode. And we're back. So, last episode we covered off the ones that are really more visible to the general public. They're often highly sought after, and of course that's the FE, the FM, the FE2, the FM2. N as well. But alongside, while well, these were, were really the splashy cameras, Nikon was working in the background, kind of testing the waters with different types of technology. And um, one of the things that was that Canon had ex- actually introduced in the late 70s was the use of electronics and microprocessors in cameras. Unfortunately, both Canon and Minolta beat Nikon to the punch because it wasn't until 1982 that the FG was released. Now, the FG is often overlooked. Um, It's really the replacement of the EM, which, if people know, Nikon's line was the camera that they advertised solely to women, because it was super simple. Um, Because, you know, sexism is strong in the 70s. (sighs) But anyways, um, the FG... Um, was the first camera that Nikon produced that actually had a full program mode. Of course, we all know that Canon beat them with the A1. The A1? Yeah, Yeah. the A1. And Minolta with the X700. Um, And you know what? I've I've had a couple of FGs. Um, My biggest problem is that I've had a couple of FGs. <laughs> they're they're not that well made. They're good cameras. The metering is excellent. Um, the electronics are are probably its biggest weak point, but it proved the point. It proved that Nikon could produce a camera that used a microprocessor to help set the exposure. And yeah, other than that, it was just bare bones basic you had metered manual and aperture priority there was no shutter priority on the camera and actually it was yeah it was actually smaller than the fe uh, than the fe2 and it it honestly it looks like a canon ae1 because you have the um shutter release film advance and then the um speed and mode dial sort of around that um, a little plastic action grip that you could take on and off. Um, yeah, again, a lot of people swear by these, um, but again, I would I would honestly give them a miss. But the one thing it did do is it allowed for Nikon to start building that those electronics and make use of those microprocessors because a year after the release of the FG came the FA in 1983. And this camera was truly a technological wonder, 
because it had matrix metering, and more importantly, how the matrix metering worked. It used a series of scenes stored in a microchip that it would basically take readings and go like, okay, which one does it look like? Oh, it looks like this. This is how it's exposed. Boom. Done. But James, you have always spoken highly of the FA, so what's your thoughts on it? Well, I I, um, I still think uh, if you're going to go after one of the small Fs in the Nikon family, it, I would put my money on the FA 10 out of 10 times. Um, uh, I certainly echo your thoughts on the FG as well. Um, uh, if I had my choice amongst the uh, uh, AE1, the FG, or the X700, the X700 just wins hands down every time. And if you don't believe me, look through the viewfinder of an X700 and you will be converted. Um but back to the FA. So yeah, it you know what it it it's still one of the uh, among the small left. It, it's still the I think the most technologically advanced camera. Like I know we're going to talk about the FM3A a, a little bit later, but the FM3A does not have matrix metering, um, and the FA does, and they both share pretty much a common feature set. Uh, you know, it's. Uh, programmed auto exposure by an, an actual um, microprocessor, which, you know, like you got to think this is a small um, sort of consumer style um, 35 millimeter camera that has an actual chip inside um, in 1983. So those of you like me um, that were around in 1983 and not looking back at it through the lens of Stranger Things uh, can remember what a phenomenal feat that was in 1983. You know, the camera itself, like, you know, and of course you can, because it's 1983, it's at that cusp where we still have like, you know, LR44, SR44 batteries for it. Um, you know, cheapest chips, you can get them but any local uh, you know, drugstore, whatever. Uh, also in 1983, one four thousandth of a second um, uh, shutter speed, LCD display in the viewfinder, you know, full program auto exposure, you know, both matrix and, and center weighted metering. I mean, like if you think about it, like pound for pound, feature for feature, if you look at, um, you know, uh, an FE2, an FM3A, an F3, uh, and compare that to the FA, um, and you can get over the fact that, you know, all film must be shot on mechanical cameras with no electronics, so you can get over that hurdle. I mean, it's really, really a tough battle to not put, you know, value for functionality, um, you know, on the FA versus anything else. I mean, it, it is my favorite of the small Fs for sure. Oh, it's, it is, and you know what? Um, I, I never had a bad exposure with the FA, and I shot it in high contrast conditions. I shot it in low contrast conditions. Um, yeah. Wildly dynamic light patterns. Um, yeah. And it's a great camera. And of course, if you're going to get one and you're going to get a winder for it, say goodbye to the MD12. Go for the MD15 for sure. I specifically brought the FA on my honeymoon because B&H had an MD-15 in stock so I could walk in, buy it, throw it on the camera, and 
<laughs> use it the whole week I was in New York City. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, I mean, it's it was such a thoughtful camera. Like, even if you put like an, an AIS lens of 135 millimeters or longer, it automatically select, selects fast program um, mm-hmm. all settings. So you don't get, um, you know, blur in your in your motion blur in your images. Like, just a re- like so far ahead of its time, like tw- easily 20 years ahead of its time in 1983. And, you know, it, it's unfortunate because... The, the FA just, it, it sort of fell out of favor when Nikon launched the shiny, um, what I call it, because it reminds me of Optimus Prime and the Transformers, is the Nikon F4. It's when that that beast came out and, you know, it had, it, it was just like a cool transition, transitionary camera in terms of design and functionality. You know, the small Fs kind of started to take a little backseat, or the FA in particular started to mm-hmm. take backseat uh, after the f4 came out but yeah great camera love it can't say enough good things about it oh yeah and... actually fa's are still pretty cheap compared to the fe2s and the fm2s yeah. out there yeah oh, yeah you know I... you get a decent one for 250 bucks or something yeah and, and i'm not sure why I, I think it's just one of those you know there's some That's... maybe some stigma attached to it not sure but you know well, it also sort of looks like a an F three that was left in the dryer too long because it there's certain <laughs> design similarities uh, with the say the advance lever, the prism head, yeah. You because know, mm-hmm. I think a lot of people who are probably just casual Nikon fans fail to realize if Nikon was a little up further along in their uh, matrix metering R and D, the F A would not have existed. No, because it, it would have been just part of the F E two. And, and I'm sure that if it was part of the FE2, it would have ended up in the F. It would have ended up in the F3 also. Yeah. Yeah, probably. But again, I think we're just a little behind the eight ball. So said, fine, we got to release the FM2 and the FE2 at the same time. And yeah. six months later, the FA showed up. They ended up realizing it was easier to build a faster shutter than a faster microchip. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, I think if you like, you know. Just go, going back in my distant memory, and I certainly wasn't a professional photographer in 1983, but I was, you know, um, an avid amateur in high school. And, um, uh, you know, every, like, you know, Nikon was the photographer's camera, the professional's camera. Like, everybody wanted, you know, to be to be holding a Nikon in their hand. Uh, and Canon, as it still is, I think, in my personal view, viewed today as more of the consumer slash prosumer market. Um, now, not to say Canon doesn't have excellent professional cameras. They buy all, of course they do. Um, but I, I think there, there's still, there was still that market perception that, you know, Canon was for consumers, Nikon was for professionals. And um, it's maybe, maybe it's just kind of, sort of stuck there like that you know and yep. and the reason i say that is like the ae1s and the a1 programs when they came out they were much more popular um than the fa but the fa had way better functionality so well oh, also there were competing uh, the canon decided with the pro well the consumer models we'll just the a1 is an is an interesting critter in its own right um mine's in the shop being overhauled uh, Canon pioneered the use of plastics in camera manufacturer. Minolta was just, 
I just saw it with the X series, like the X370, the X570, or the X500 in the EU, and the X700. Uh, both the X570 and the X700 are just, they just did it so much better than Canon did with their A series. I'm just being. Oh, yeah. Them. Yeah. I, I think with Nikon, with the FE2, the FA, and the others, they, they didn't want to, they didn't bother to compete on price or competing on technology and reliability. And, and yeah, this camera will outlast you. And, and on the A series from Canon, I have both a copy of the first camera from the series and the last camera from the series. And the quality went downhill. Yeah. Um, you got the AE one, which is actually a nice camera to use to the AL one. Oh yeah, that was which a is model. weird. Yeah, wow. Well, I haven't thought of wow AL one. My gosh, <laughs> yeah. whatever happened to that thing? It became the T eighty. Yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Mm, yeah, or the T seventy. Seventy. Yeah. No, T eighty specifically. Really, with wow. the autofocus system. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Ah. Uh. Right. The AL one had the uh, quick focus. And then that system was basically lifted, mounted with a modified FD lens that had an integral um, focus drive and would automatically uh, focus. Yeah. But as we know, um, the FG was discontinued in 84 and the FDA in 87. Now, an interesting thing is the FG was actually replaced by the FG20, which people see as a downgrade because for some dumb reason, they dropped the program mode. But... Yeah, I Marketing to students? Who knows? Who knows? But Classic, hitting a price point to get it into Sears, maybe? Yeah, but or really, Kmart. by 95, um, Canon, um, sorry, Nikon, um, was already shooting for that student market um, with the release of the FM10. And the FM10 is interesting in the sense that it's a Nikon in name only, because it is actually based on the Cosina CT1 Super. So we see a return to a Copal square shutter, um, um, LED needle, LED illuminated um, exposure readings, um, all mechanical, all manual. The only real difference is that it's made of plastic and what Nikon did, as opposed to some of the other companies that bought the design of the CT1 Super and had Cosina manufacture them, was that um, Nikon insisted that they include a multi-exposure option and a depth of field preview lever and a separate meter activation button. And, of course, the inclusion of the F-mount. Mm, yeah. um, they're not bad cameras. They, they often get a bad rap. Um, well, the Voigtlander rangefinders are based on that same platform. There you go. They're not yeah. bad cameras. They're just, they're cheap. Um, again, aimed at students. I know that Sheridan's applied photography program and uh, art and art history program have a ton of them um, that they use. Um, the real problem is the lens that they were marketed and sold with. That was just garbage. It was a Series E zoom lens, so... Need I say more? Yeah. Um, yeah, again, they're not bad. They're they're plastic. Um, they'll break easily. Unfortunately, these days they are creeping up in price. 
mostly because they've been seen in the hands of Brie Larson. She has one. So the only real way to get them cheap is if you find them in a dumpster. That's kind of odd that Brie Larson would shoot with an FM 10 and not say something like an FM two or an FM. Like, well, considering what she cleared with like Captain Marvel, I'm like, <laughs> hey, you never you know what, <laughs> or maybe yeah. she kind of looks at it. I break it. Oh, well, no tears, no regrets. Yeah. Well, I mean, you have to assume not everybody, um, you know, revolves around the uh, camera nerd universe like uh, like us uh, and, and, yeah. and our listeners do. So who knows? I mean, you know, could have been a gift, could have been something she saw in a, uh, uh, you know, a thrift shop or, or some room. whatever. I mean, I, I would think that if you were an avid photographer, um, film photographer, uh, and you wanted some kind of 35 millimeter camera, I, I just couldn't see the FM 10 being on your list. Um, you know, uh, among, you know, and not because it's a bad camera. I mean, it is the boat anchor of the, of the F lineup essentially, but nevertheless, I mean, there are so many other choices, um, mm you know, that I, that would be better in my opinion, anyway, better choices as an all around, you know, if, if you're going to shoot 35 millimeter film, there's so many better choices out there at that price point. So. Absolutely. And again, I made it one roll through my FM 10 before it broke. So yeah. I, I, I can't speak to the quality. Um, again, I only shot one roll through it. It's okay. Yeah. Who knows? Nothing Maybe special. Maybe she still eats 49 cent ramen packets for dinner. I don't know. Hey, you know, hey, you never know. <laughs> Who knows why people do the things they do? Exactly. But what makes the FM 10 really interesting is that it was also paired with an FE 10, which is based on another um, Cosina camera. And it stayed in production until 2015, which for a Nikon camera, that is a long time. Not a lot can say. They were in production for uh, 20 years. But the real star of the show, the one that probably everyone's been waiting for, came out in 2001. And that is, of course, the FM3A. And Bill, we're going to start with you because you are the newest owner in this group of the FM3A. And unfortunately, yours has a lazy meter. Okay, uh, the FM3A is sort of like one of those grail cameras that I've always wanted. So what's the big deal with the FM3A? Well, Nikon basically had the FM2, FM2, FM2N for probably almost, what, two decades? Say almost 20 years. So they got, they got their money's worth out of that platform. And by the dawn of the 21st century, Nikon decided, okay, um, they knew full well the film was fast becoming sort of niche. So they said, okay, let's let's do something, a, a, an advanced manual focus camera that had aperture priority. It's kind of sort of cross-pollinated the FM2N with an FA an FE2, and you wound up with the FM3A. So what's the big deal? Well, in terms of functionality, if you look through the you know, into through through the prism, you think you're shooting with an FE2. The difference is 
you've got an aperture an aperture lock so if for for metering so if you've got an issue and you're doing aperture priority you want to meter you don't wind up losing it which you can with the fe2 uh, it also has DX coding. So if you want to just slap a roll of film in, it'll automatically recognize it, and off you go. Those are the two big things. And I think it was also mated with a 45 f2.8 lens. You can buy separately. Like they had a black version and a chrome version, depending on which body you got. Um, honestly, from a functionality standpoint, it's like handling an FE2, but the big bonus is... If the battery dies, you can shoot mechanically on every speed. Whereas with the FE2, it's any speed you want as long as it's one F two fiftieth. You know, and that's the way it is. Uh, in terms of usability, and again, the problem with my example, I bought mine off my brother because he was sort of, I'm not using this. I'll give you the friends and family discount, but there's a problem with the meter. You can probably fix it uh one guy sort of fixed it but i got it at another tech just uh, who's a little more comfortable with electronic cameras he's this gentleman um uh sort of resuscitated a friend's a mutual friend's nikon f3 so you figure okay he could probably get to the bottom of it so the problem with the lazy meteor i had it may exist with you with your fm3 if you find one in the wild it's not that the meter is not accurate. The meter is stone-ass dead accurate. I mean, it's bang on all the time, every time. Problem is, just when you first start using it, it takes a while to wake up. So then you either have to fire, dry fire a couple of frames, which, you know, anyways, film, or you slap it on the side of the camera, and all of a sudden it's like the, the hamster in the hamster wheel wakes up and starts running real fast, going, yes, yes, I, I'm, I'm, I'm on the ball. So I wanted to get that fixed. Otherwise, the camera is another dream. And uh, would I recommend getting one? Well, you have to be a bit of a Nikon collector. Um, I picked it up last year. Sort of like that sort of grab grail cameras. I was in that sort of like, you know, it's a long, complicated story. I'll, I'll tell you another time um i hope i hope but the meter can be fixed because i really do love the camera uh got my fingers crossed and yeah it'll get regular use like and it's it for me it's always been a grail camera because i remember seeing the uh, popular photography articles for it in 2001 and i remember many many moons ago when I was working for Carlson Marketing Group at their 3300 Blur Street West location, I used to walk uh, through the Kingsway neighborhood. There used to be a mom and pop camera shop that was a Nikon dealer. And of course, what did they have? They had a Chrome FM3A under the counter and a black one on the shelf and behind the uh, store owner. So you sit there going, yeah, I want one of those. And I got it. I'm just hoping I get the work totally properly <laughs> from there a meter standpoint. And James, you are the longtime user of oh, the FM3A. I've, I've had one for a long time. Uh, it's a great camera. I mean, it incorporates every good feature of the Fs that came before, the FE, FE2, FM, FM2, FM2N, yada, yada, yada. Um, and drops all of the sort of, you know, um, 
annoyances of those cameras. So um, really good camera. There's a few things you need to think about if you're going to get one. Um, it is a complicated beast. It has a hybrid shutter. So it has, you know, as Bill was mentioning, like if the battery runs out, you can still operate the shutter, you know, in, in manual mode. Um, so basically the camera has an electronic shutter and a manual shutter. So it's a very, very complicated piece of machinery and to get one repaired uh, good luck um i don't know if nikon um certainly i don't think nikon canada would be able to repair it anymore there might be some some folks out there with some experience but it it, it is a complicated beast you know it came out at a at a very strange time in, in, mm. in photography um the cusp of the film and digital era but you know as far as shootability goes i mean you know, having the, um, you know, the uh, AE um, uh, aperture priority um, and, you know, uh, metering system that's extremely accurate uh, is, you know, it, it's, you know, it, it's just basically dead on uh, accurate. It's, it's, it's no less accurate, in my opinion, than my F6 is. Um, uh, the other really cool feature about this camera um, is that it has this um, this feature? It's got a little button at the side, and it's a it's a uh, um, a, a, a one stop underexposure for TTL flash. Um, so it's basically a flash compensation, automatic flash compensation button that drops the um, uh, uh, exposure down by one stop um, when you're using TTL flash. So basically, means you can you know, shoot your, um, shoot your flash all day, all night, whatever, um, without having to, you know, muck around with your, you know, with your flash and change settings and things like that. You can really just keep an eye on your subject, push that button. Um, it, you know, it'll drop it down one stop and then you'll get, you know, really great fill flash. So you're not going to be, you know, exposing subjects that look like they've been shot in a cave. You're going to see your ambient light come through and you're going to have your, um your your subject in the foreground exposed really well is also so you're gonna have a very balanced exposure using flash so it took a lot of the guesswork um out of you know on camera strobe lighting which nikon you know i think to this day still is way ahead of their time compared to other manufacturers when it comes to the lighting systems um came with a, a standard the k3 focus screen um so you know really good for uh, using those fast lenses, those lenses f2 and um, you know faster. Uh, so you know really just a, a really good uh, shooter's camera. You know, as I mentioned earlier, it really came out unfortunately was kind of like a series of unfortunate events in terms of you know when this camera was launched. So um, I think it was launched uh, in 2001, uh, which is the same time, that Nikon was a couple years into digital photography. So like the, the D1 came out, I think in 99, uh, in 2001, at the same time as the FM3A, they uh, launched the D1X and the the high-speed sports one, uh, D1, the D1H as well for sports photographers, uh, just within you know months of, of launching the uh, FM3A. So it was a really strange time because at that time you were going digital and if you were going if, if you were going digital you were going um you know 
obviously you're going digital, so you're going completely different medium, but you're also going uh, full autofocus as well. And you're, you're not going to get autofocus on the FM3A. And then you're kind of looking at a manual film camera. So I'm really, it's kind of puzzling what, what Nikon was thinking in terms of launching those things at the same time. Like, you know, you're trying to capture a market. Maybe they didn't believe in, you know, or they, they weren't, they couldn't see the future and see the digital would be, you know, uh, I was, I would sort of wonder if Nikon was hedging their bets because they were still marketing the F5, the F100, the F75. They didn't do a cull until like 2004, 2005. And when they did, the only can two film cameras left standing were the FM10 and the F6. And I was a little surprised the FM3 was one of the ones that died because it's really, I think at the end, it was more of a halo camera. And I, I think that's true for, for for Nikon in general. They they are a little bit more averse to uh, being early adopters of technology. Um, like if you look at even at the digital space, like, uh, you know, we had the the uh, the Canon 5D Mark One come out for several years before Nikon launched the uh, the D3 and got into the super high ISO um, uh, digital space. Um, and you know, it's the same thing with these cameras. Like they kept so many uh, lines of, um, I guess, more economical cameras in their lineup while technology kept moving forward so it seems like they they were afraid to say yeah you know what let's jump into this new space with both feet they kind of always had one foot and you know on on either straddling either side of the market i guess um you know but interesting i mean yeah it's hard for me to recommend someone to buy an fm3a um I'll be honest, I would sooner just say for the price of what you're dropping for an FM3A these days, you're better off getting an FM2N, like a Chrome FM2N and a black FE2, and you still have money left over for film and lenses. And that's it, because like an FM2N is like 500 bucks. Well, an FM3A is probably what nine hundred these days, something like 9, that. Nine hundred to just over a thousand, depending where the Canadian yeah. dollar is these days. And sadly, yeah. these days it's starting to lose some it's strength. Just, it's just not. But working. but that was that was Nikon's whole thing. They they always kept one foot backwards. Yeah. Like yeah. Again, when they went from pre AI to AI, they kept the prong on the lenses. Yeah. Oh yeah, they kept that prong on the lenses right to the bitter end. They want it to be right. everything to everybody, right? And it's not until actually recently that that mindset seems to have changed with the with the Z lineup, you know, or Z for well, our even even you take a look at the new um, the last last set of lenses in the F mount, the AFEs that have done away with the mechanical linkage. Yeah. For your aperture, it's now all done electronically. Hmm. Um, but yeah, what really killed the FM three A was. Um, even though it had steady sales, it, they were really small compared to other cameras, and it just ended up costing too much money to make. Yeah, to make it. Well, yeah, wild. they also wanted to free up, I guess, manufacturing space for something else. Like, it's a shame, but I can understand where they're coming from. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, it, it's a collector's camera. I don't think it, it is. 
it's not really a shooter's camera, I would say. I mean, hey, it's not that it's a bad camera to shoot. It's that if you're... It's a fun camera to shoot. Yeah, it's a great piece of machinery, but I mean, you, you can buy a lot of... Well, you can buy some film with 400 bucks these days. Maybe <laughs> a few packs of portrait 400. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it, yeah, but it's funny. Nikon also went out and they built replicas of the Nikon S3 and the SP rangefinder for the Japanese market at the turn of the century. And from what I've read about it, they had a hell of a time making them because they had to find a lot of retired employees who made them back in the fit the, the early 60s and, and try and say, hey, want to come back and build, build these? Yeah, really and it was just that, and it's like doing all the more important. Well, the big challenge with Rico, from what I've read recently, is they're worried their supply chain. It's it's not so much, hey man, let's just take the shell of one of our DSLRs, and instead of the sensor, we'll just carve out a spot for the film cassette and the other end the take up spool or the equivalent thereof. It's the whole supply chain to, to build it. It's like, mm. and that's what they're running into. And they're they're a little scared that the market is growing, but it's not big enough for their investment. Yeah, if that makes sense because they're they're not they're not the cottage camera company like say, Intrepid making four by five view cameras, or even Leica, who are still making the M six M A and. Yeah, but Leica never stopped. Well, yeah, they 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 were wise. They didn't stop, and uh, and building a view camera is completely different from building a thirty-five mm Exactly. So I don't see Canon or Nikon or yeah ever getting back into the film camera game. It's just no. not going to happen. They're basically no. optics companies selling computers that become the rear lens cap of said optics. They're digital capture devices. That's that's yep, that's it. It's and right. even then, it's like both Canon and Nikon, like the photography or image capture, we'll call it for that. Like Canon, that's that's barely a rounding error on their balance sheet. Their big thing is printers, copiers, office technology. Well, I think it's projectors. Yeah. I mean, I think we all horrible, have to horrible face. projectors. <laughs> <laughs> I think we all have to face the reality that, you know, the, the film market is essentially a very niche market. It's it's not going to ever be um, a significant professional space uh, in terms of output and media. It's going to be very much a you know, and I hate to use the term, um, so don't send emails or comments, but, a, you know, a cottage-based type of industry. And that's just a function of the volume. There are not millions and millions and millions of film photography consumers out there. There's, you know, there's there might be, a, you know, maybe a couple million in the world, but, you know, they're not they're not shooting professionally and shooting the volume of film that, um, you that know, once was. Once was. I mean, you know, if you let's say the, the population of the United States, let's say in 1985, I don't know, I'm going to just have, do some reverse guesstimation and say it was 
what are they, 350 million today? So let's say 250 million um, was the population in the United States in, say, the 80s and 90s. And 237.9 million. So there you go. So let's say um, 80% of households had a 35 millimeter camera in their home, mm-hmm. right? So you're looking at over 100 million um, consumers or you know, close to 100, let's say about what, 180-ish million consumers in a film in the United States alone 20 years ago. I mean, th- that just frankly doesn't exist today. Um, no. You know, so that said, you know, we need to support people that are um, creating new film, uh, repackaging film, doing whatever, doing whatever they can to sort of keep the heartbeat alive, you know, so to speak, right? So, I mean, ultimately, because we're not going to see new camera manufacturers coming out, you know, other than outside of like Lomography and that sort of thing. We're not going to see sort of, you know, professional level, advanced um, 35 millimeter or medium format um, film systems coming out uh, in this lifetime, I don't think. So, no, definitely not. But but even in 1985, the people who were consuming film the most were, again, professionals. So newspapers, professional photographers. Um, you had the motion picture industry, right? Yep. The average household, they would bring two, three rolls of film, maybe, on yeah. family vacation, 24 exposures, and that was it for two weeks. Yeah. yeah. Now it's 24 exposures in 10 seconds with the cell phone and it's blasted all over the internet 10 seconds thereafter. So exactly. Times have changed. Yep. So essentially we enjoy it while we can. Absolutely. Make the best of it. Have fun. Enjoy the process because it is a process. I don't think it's about the outcome. I think it's the process that's most important. Well, gents that I think that about covers it. Um, Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, Two really nice short episodes, but lots of lots of really good information in there. So until next time, my name's Alex Lokes. Just remember, big F, little F, what begins with F? Film flash focal plane and F stops too. Oh, very good. Very good. Well, this is James Lee. And in the words of um, Ron Burgundy, go F yourself, San Diego. This is Bill Smith and the one F you forgot to mention, fun. <laughs>